We've been going through Matthew nine. We've been going through the book of Matthew. Our series is called All because Jesus has all authority so that all nations might pledge all allegiance to him. That's the summary of Matthew according to one commentator and um, I love that. Um, and I also love how God has orchestrated this entire service. Okay, all these things that are happening, you're going to see them tie into the message. I had nothing to do with any of the tying in, okay? Um, I love how our musicians prepare, and they don't just prepare the notes. They prepare what are we preaching, what are we thinking about right now, what words go to what songs help us prepare hearts and minds for what's coming. So I love that, and I just really thank God for that. Even what Gary brought, you're going to find, is going to kind of slap us in the face a little bit. Okay, because the temptation after what he said is to get a little prideful. Well, Jesus is going to take care of that too. <laughs> so this is going to be this is going to be so good. Um, the question we're answering today is: What good thing must I do to get eternal life? And it's actually the question in Scripture that is asked of Jesus by someone who is rich, young and in charge, okay, a rich young ruler by Mark, Matthew, and Luke's account. Together, that's how they describe him. Basically, a good Christian American, except that he's not going to follow Christ. What do they call that? Um, Sorry, spoiler. All right, here we go. Starting in, we're going to start in verse 13, and um, let me, let me just set it up with this, and then I'm going to pray. Um, we talked about the very difficult topic last week because we're just going through an order. We talked about the very difficult topic of marriage and divorce and singleness. We talked about all of those last week. And I don't think any of this is ordered coincidentally. I think Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, thematically arranged this in, in such a way that it connected what Jesus' message was like to have followed him in real life. Okay, and uh, Matthew's ordering is is a little bit different than the others. It's not strictly chronological for that reason, and I love that he's going to then go to the place and immediately uh, come at us where we might be tempted to go after hearing about how good a getter, how how good a giver we are, because he's going to say God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's the principle he's going to start off with. So let's pray and then let's jump in. Lord Jesus, we just come to you today acknowledging your greatness. Who else? Who else? There's no one else that comes close to you and your glory. And so, Lord, today as we as we think about you, as we think about what you've said and the and the life you've lived and the life you gave, God, may we recognize who you are, who you really are. May we see you as you really are. Because when we see you as you really are, then we see ourselves in contrast, and that is incredibly humbling, and that's incredibly good. And we are so in need of that in this day. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart that's willing to humble itself, that we would have a mind willing and able to grasp what you're going to throw at us here uh, through these awesome words of Jesus so that we might be changed. And it's in the name of that wonderful Jesus we pray. Amen. This little sliver right before this encounter between this rich young ruler and Jesus starts with, then people brought little children to Jesus. This is that 
we hear this story. Some of us have heard this story for a long time. They're bringing, the parents are bringing their little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. That is the children, the parents, both. I'm not quite sure, but probably the parents. And then Jesus comes back and rebukes his disciples. And he says, let the little children come to me. Let them come. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Remember, Matthew uses kingdom of heaven. It's, it's synonymous with kingdom of God. Okay, He's writing to Jews, and they don't like to say God out loud because it's so sacred, and so he would say it's the kingdom of heaven. It's equivalent to eternal life, which you're going to see in a minute, which is another way of saying, um, what it, how does he say it? Uh, uh, eternal life, he says, life... Uh, I can't remember. You'll see it when we get there. But salvation, we sometimes use interchangeable. All of these things mean the same. Born again, all these things mean the same thing. You were dead, and now you're alive. And not just alive until you die physically, but alive forever in the presence of your creator as a part, as opposed to alive forever in a place apart from your creator, which Jesus calls hell. Not here, but in other places. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. The only other side note I want to say here, besides the principle, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, is that I love how these parents are acting. They're taking their kids to someone they believe can change their lives. They said, just say a prayer for my child. What kind of faith, right? I wonder, you know, it's like when we pray with our kids, it's like right before dinner and it's, you know, God is great, God is good, and we do the rote prayer, God is great and God is good is a good prayer in the sense that those things are true and we should be remembering those things, but we trivialize. But I digress. James 4, 6 is where that principle actually resides, and I'm just going to flip over there real quick and just read it to you in context. Um, but it's also in First Peter. It's also in Proverbs 3.34, James 4.6. But he, that is Jesus or God, gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, and then it's going to quote Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, if you remember little children here, you should ring a bell. If you've been paying attention, turn back. I'm back in Matthew. Turn back to Matthew 18, 3 and 4, and let's just remember what little children is significant of, okay? It's not just those cute little um, rubbery-looking people that we bring to church in our arms. Sorry uh, to the moms in the room with little rubbery-looking children. And, and he said, sometimes there's no filter, truly I tell you, and of course that means write this down, mark it in your Bible, circle it, highlight it, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, not in the way I just described, but how are little children? They're powerless, they're essentially possessionless, they don't have anything worth anything, although children's toys being what they are, still hard to resell. And they're not even pretentious. They're not even pretending that they have anything to offer. They just are just kind of at the mercy of everybody that tells them what to do because that's what we do to our children, right? We have authorities, and so they just trust that those authorities are going to protect them and feed them and give them a place to sleep because they've got no leverage. And that's exactly how we're to approach God. We are not to go to God as if we have leverage, because if you think you do, that's pride, and it's misplaced pride. Now, that's just Jesus setting the golf ball on the tee. 
All right, now comes the swing. After Jesus and his... I'm sorry, i got to go back to 19 here. Uh, Starting in verse 16. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? All right, let's give this guy some credit. He asks a good question. Maybe it's not perfectly worded, but it's the way most people would ask it. What must I do and implied to earn eternal life? What good thing? He assumes it's a good thing. So he's got a good question. No pun intended. All right? And, but then, and, and the other thing we want to give him credit for is he goes to a good source. He goes to the source of the answer to this question. Not just because he has the answer, but because he is the answer. His life given makes this answer possible. Now, he doesn't realize this. And this is why I prayed what I prayed and love that song, Who Else? It's because when we truly get who Jesus is, and you acknowledge it, and you understand, or at least like a little bit like we can, comprehending who Jesus is, there's no other way to live but following him. There's no other way to live but generously sacrificially, okay, not three or five percent, like a hundred percent, okay? There's nothing, we got, we got no room to, we're the least horrible givers on the planet. That's what we are in America. We're the least horrible givers on the planet. We give, you know, so you see what I'm saying? So that's where he's going. He's going to say to this man, you have, you have a choice, In this hand, you have everything that you have, both what you actually have and even potential. Okay? All the stuff you have, all the money you have, all, but also the, the pedigree you have, the family connections you have, the business connections you have, the experience you have, the dreams you have, the kids you have, the everything. It's all right here. And then he's gonna, he's gonna put in the other hand, Jesus. And he's gonna make it an either or. We don't like that. We want both and. Well, you're just going to have to take it up with him because today he doesn't give us that choice. I'm not saying it's not a choice, but he's making a point here that I think is worth us considering. Well, I know it is. I just hope we have the courage to. Teacher, he calls him teacher, which just means he respects him as a good teacher, a good rabbi. He doesn't see him as any more than that, even though his reputation is miracle worker, Right? I mean, he's making the lame walk, the blind see, the the mute speak. He's casting demons out left and right. I mean, he, he has a lot of reasons to think he's more than just a good teacher. And I think in his gut, he knows there's something different here. And he's coming to him asking him this most profound question. I wonder how many times you've asked this question. I wonder if you've ever answered this question. I wonder what your answer is. Why do you ask me about what is good? Because, see, Jesus knows he's talking to him as if he's just a man. And so he's saying, well, if you think I'm just a man, why do you think I'm good? Jesus replied, there, there, there is only one who is good, implying his heavenly Father. If you want to enter life, there it is, eternal life, enter life, keep the commandments. Now, that sounds like what most people would be looking for. Okay, how do I get eternal life? You got to do some things. Here's some commands. You obey the commands. If you do them well, then, you know, if you do more good than bad, then God's going to let you in. That scales mentality, and that's not the way we find eternal life. But Jesus goes with it here because he's going to make a point that's going to pinpoint this man's need. 
And so instead of challenging that idea that you can't earn your salvation, Jesus says, which commandments? Or he asks, which ones? So Jesus says, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? Good question. Which commandments? So then Jesus gives him commandments 5 through 9, skips 10, and then he gives the love your neighbor as yourself, right? Which we know and we'll see in 22 is one half of the greatest commandment. You shall, Jesus replied, I'm in verse 18. You shall not murder. That's one of them. So you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Those are the five of the Ten Commandments he gives. All of them focused on how you treat other people. Okay? So he's kind of going at this guy. He's going straight on to this guy. He's like, how are you treating other people, Mr. Prideful, young, rich, young ruler guy? How are you treating other people? Are you loving people? Skips covet, then love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what the young man says, all these I've kept. I think in another parallel it says, all these I've kept from my youth, all my life. All these I've kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? You hear the pride and the hubris? He's pretty, he's feeling pretty good, not only about being young, probably good looking, not only being a man, that's a man's culture, man's world, not only being, uh, so he's not just that, but he's a ruler, so he's got power and authority, he's got wealth, and he's probably pretty religious. Sounds like he's thinking he's very religious. He's got it all. We would call him a really good church member in America, respected, religious, faithful, I know, I'm in dangerous territory. Hang, let me, hang with me. Verse 20. Okay, said that. Verse 21, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, word perfect means complete, whole, as you were designed to be, not just free from flaw. More than that. If you want to be perfect, here's how you, Mr. Rich Young Ruler, can be complete and whole. Go sell your possessions It's implied all. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor. I don't know. Maybe it's not implied all. That's the way I've always read it. Maybe I'm wrong. And you will have treasure in heaven. So he's not even saying give up treasure. He's saying give up the treasure in your hands for something, for heavenly treasure, which we could talk about if we had time. And I would take you to Matthew 6 where it's a hundredfold in, in amount, you can't lose it. There's no risk in the investment. Just it's incom, incomparable to what you already have. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Right? And we know that if you follow Jesus, you're following someone who is the way to true life. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Okay, so but if this man thinks he's just a teacher and he's saying, wait a minute, teacher, you're telling me I need to get rid of all my stuff that I've worked really hard to get. Reputation, house, whatever, family, everything. You're saying walk away from that and follow you. A teacher, good teacher. But and and so the answer is in verse 27, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. The same choices between you and I. 
I, I think I remember years ago, I may have this statistic wrong, but I want to say Billy Graham used to say half of people in churches today are not Christians. And I used to think, wow, that's, that's a pretty, pretty audacious statement until I heard Francis Chan's number. <laughs> 95% are not Christians in today's churches. I'm going, wow, that just, that seems, until you read this and you realize the Christian is the one who's willing to choose Jesus over everything else. And then all of a sudden, if you were to ask me what percentage of people in churches today would be willing to do that and walk away from this, and I'm not just saying figuratively, and he's not saying everybody does it literally, but would you, if he did? I think it's probably 5%. I think that's probably not far from the truth. And I think whether you agree with that or not, you need to ask yourself the question, would I be willing? Because you and I have a lot in this world that's valuable, precious. And the fact that that's even a hard decision should convict us. It sure does me because he's worth so much more. And isn't that the point? Well, he doesn't let up off the gas. Then Jesus said to his disciples, they're there and they're, he's probably looking and their jaws are probably all dropped. Truly I tell you, this is plural, so truly I tell y'all, you southern Jews, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes another step and he says, again, I tell you, actually only Judas Iscariot would have been Southern. The others were from Galilee. So I take that back. I'm sorry. 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Interesting. Kingdom of God, not kingdom of heaven. Jesus says kingdom of God. He's got no problem talking about his daddy. I love that. All right, so um, uh, this, this camel and needle thing, I couldn't bring in a live camel today to show you that it wouldn't go through a needle. So I'm going to go over something a little less um, bold and a little off the mark, but you'll, you'll forgive me because this is no camel or, or even a stuffed camel. This is a stuffed polar bear, to be clear, okay? Um, but if I had a needle and I didn't think to bring one, even though I thought to bring this, if I had a needle... I don't think I could convince you that I could get this through the needle, the eye of the needle, right? You would not be convinced, right? Pretend you're agreeing with me. Yes, okay? All right, but, but you know, camels are much, much bigger, but you could say, well, the needles back in that day weren't near as small as ours, so okay, we'll go with one of their needles. Let's say the whole of their needles is this big, okay? And let's pull out a big life-size camel and get it through the needle. I don't think it's happening. So what's his point? It's impossible. Now let's read it again. Think about this. It's impossible. It's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. We've already said that's impossible, but it's easier for that to happen, he's saying, than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible. It can't happen. We cannot, we will not choose, we will be like the rich young ruler. If all we have is Jesus the teacher before us saying, choose me or choose your stuff, all of us are going to choose stuff. This is the point. Salvation is on God first. 
God has to give you and I the eyes to see. We were singing about this in who else, that's whatever that song is, the who else song I'm calling it. There's no one else like him. When we see Jesus as that, then all of a sudden this doesn't look so great in comparison to him. And all of a sudden what was impossible is now possible because of him, because of who he really is. And when he removes the scales and opens our eyes and gives us the ability to to see, now there's hope because now I realize I have the truth in front of me. And, And Jesus, he goes there. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? Because in that culture, the most spiritually mature people were perceived to be the most wealthy. What if we looked at that in our country that way? Who would be the most spiritually mature people in our country? We would go to the Forbes, whatever the magazine is, does the most wealthiest people, right? We would start there, and we would start working down the list. No, we wouldn't, unless you followed the logic. Oh, we would go to our churches and find out who's making the most money in church because they're probably giving the most. That's false too. Okay, so it's like, uh, we wouldn't do that because we know better, don't we? Remember Jesus' example? was the widow who gave two pence or a penny. She was the greatest giver at that moment. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Talking about getting eternal life without any help from God. But with God, all things are possible. And if you've got the coffee cup or the t-shirt, please remember the context, okay? He's talking about our ability to save ourselves. We can't do it. Peter answered him, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? And, you know, I'm kind of got a smirk when I'm reading this going, oh, there goes Peter again, you know, speaking before he thinks, you know, ready, shoot, aim. Um, it's, but he's right this time. Look what he says. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, get out your highlighter. At the renewal of all things, okay, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, Jesus is renewing all things under his headship, okay? Because why? Because he's king. He's the king of kings. Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man, that's referring to Jesus, sits on his glorious throne, there's the day coming when he's not just sitting on the throne of our hearts, but he's going to literally lead us, I, unless it's all unless it's all metaphorical, which I'm not there yet, but some people think that. I think he's actually going to do it. You who have followed me, talking to the disciples, minus Judas Iscariot, no time here for that nuance, will also sit on 12 thrones. They'll have positions of leadership it's, it, it, or judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know if it's just Jews. I think it's probably those who've been grafted in, which would be true Christians, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children, these are all left-hand things, my left-hand, yours, not yours, or fields or businesses or portfolios or cars will receive 
a hundred times as much. Let's just stop there. Wait a minute. You're saying, Jesus, if I give this up and I follow you, I get a hundred times that? Now, the, the short-sighted, um, worldly person would, how could you turn that away? How could you turn that down? A hundredfold. There's no investment that you can call safe that gives you that. But that's not where he stops. He says, a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Oh, by the way, live forever in the presence of your creator. No pain, no suffering, world without end, physically, spiritually superior to what we're in now. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Because this is just a reminder that the kingdom is upside down from the way we think. Jesus' way is 180 degrees different. So what was the principle? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay? How are you feeling right now? Right? Ask yourself the question, am I feeling proud about what I've done in life? Am I feeling good about what I've done in life? Well, maybe you do, and that's not inappropriate unless it's a source of pride that makes you feel like, well, I have more to offer or what I have is not worth giving up for him. And that, I would say, your eyes are still covered. You're, you're not even seeing clearly if you're there. If it's hard to imagine, I can understand because we have the, the worldly um, goggles. I've heard, you've heard of beer goggles? Have y'all heard of beer goggles? This is fairly new to me, but the idea that you see everything through drunken stupor, okay, well, worldly goggles, maybe that's what they are still, maybe that's still appropriate. If you look at what Jesus says through that, it's, you're going to have a hard time discerning what's really true and good. We all have this choice, and I'm not just talking to people who don't know Christ right now, okay, and, and they're in the room, and they're online, that's, that's fine, but I'm talking, I want to talk to my brothers and sisters in Christ, if you have this choice today, which are you making? Which is your choice? And don't give me the Jesus Sunday school answer just because it's easy. Get past that and think. Think with your head, think with your heart, and ask yourself the honest question, am I really willing to walk away from it? I mean, could Jesus not tap you on this proverbial shoulder and say, I want you to because I'm going to use you to do something else? Could he not do that tomorrow, today? So let's just imagine for a second that he does that. What's your answer? Not what do you think I want to hear. And this is where you get honest with the Lord. And that's what he did, he did with this. And at least this rich young ruler was honest. He walked away sad because he thought this was worth more than this. He was honest. He was wrong. Okay? I want to be clear, he's not prescribing this is exactly what he's asking all of us to do. Okay, But when you look at the life of Jesus, which do you see? How did Jesus live? Jesus forsook a family, the companionship of a loving wife. And let me tell you, I don't know, I know Jesus wasn't a looker because scripture says he wasn't, Okay, but I imagine he was, oh, I can't say it that way. I imagine he was appealing to the ladies. Y'all know what I was going to say. Because he's the real deal. And he, he forsook that. Have y'all heard the acronym faith forsaking all I trust him? Anybody in here ever 
Come on, no Southern Baptists in here? Okay. Don't say amen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Forsaking all, I trust him. Faith. There's actually a way to show your faith, and that's one of the... But that's exactly what he's saying, right? Forsaking all, I trust him because he's worthy, right? This is the way we ought to be singing our songs. What? Why? Because I'm letting go of everything I have. This is my way of remembering that I'm surrendering all to him. We sing the song. If we would just sing the song the rest of the week, wow, what a, what a church. Wow. What if the church of Charleston sang songs like this all week long? We would treat the poor differently. We'd be in their world, not waiting for them to come to ours. We would know our neighbor's names, not just one of them. We would know our neighbor's names. We'd be actively praying for them and then looking for opportunities based on our prayers, asking for opportunities to engage them in conversation. How can I be a blessing to them? Instead of driving into our garage and walking in through that way so that we won't have to see them. See? It's just upside down from what we're used to hearing and thinking and seeing. I wish I could tell you I have this, I've got this, I'm good. I don't. I'm right where you are, struggling right alongside of you. The fact that this convicts me should bother you because <laughs> I'm the guy standing on the platform at the moment. It bothers him. I mean, we, right? And yet, I mean, I'm just being honest. What if we were honest with God right now, all of us, and we repented of that? That we prayed, Lord, help me live a life where my hands actually are empty. I'm giving you permission to take everything. Careful with that prayer. You might find yourself in a hospital or in a funeral. Careful with that prayer. Am I really willing to pray? God, you are well, you're willing to, you're, I'm willing for you to take it all. Just ask Job. This is hard. And he's still worth it. That's the message. That's why this is incredibly convicting. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to, um, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. We're going we're gonna to do what we normally do, our Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate that. Okay? And you don't have to be a member here. You just need to be following Christ and in good standing with Christ. And we're going to come down these miles and peel off to the left or the right, left or the right, and crust of bread, cup of juice, symbolizing the cross. Jesus is suffering on the cross and then dying on the cross. We remember that because that's the price that was paid for you and I to not have to suffer and die for our sins, which is what we deserve and not what Jesus deserved. Okay, but this was God's way of remaining just and merciful at the same time. He didn't compromise holiness to be merciful to us. Okay, he's the judge who took off his robe and came around and, and paid the sentence that the person who was just convicted by that judge deserved to pay and he did it for them. That's Jesus doing that for us. So the Lord's Supper is our way to remember we owe him everything. We could never pay the debt. Just a few weeks ago, we saw the man who had a debt that was so big that um, uh, Warren Buffett couldn't pay it off. It's just too big. Spiritual debt we have, okay? And yet he forgave us through the blood of Christ because the blood of Christ is worth more than that. He's worth it. 
So maybe when we sing, we remember who we're singing to, right? We sing like we actually believe that he is infinitely greater than, the, than anything we could ever fill this hand up with. And then we don't stop singing until, we don't stop singing. How about that? We don't stop singing, I don't mean literally, but in our hearts, the song never stops. The anthem continues. Maybe it's a new soundtrack for your life. Gratitude for what he's done for me. He's worthy, isn't he? Is he worthy? Is he worthy to you? Enough to say it out loud in front of other people because I might look weird. Gosh, the things we hold, let hold back, us hold us back, right? All right. Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's all stand. We're going to pray. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. If, assuming everybody's standing or can't, that can, when I say amen, we'll start, I'm going to go ahead and ask the musicians to come. Unless you, you need to do with business with God, you stay put, that's fine. Musicians are going to come. Lord's Supper table attendants are going. Um, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to say amen. If you need prayer and you just want somebody to pray for you, I'm going to ask you to just sit back down, okay? And then if you are around them, okay, and you love them, you go pray for them. Just go, just go sit next to them, come behind, you know, don't mug them and don't, you know, don't get touchy-feely because some people don't like that, right? Just, just, just pray for them. It doesn't have to be but a sentence. It could be silently, okay? But if you need that, then that's your way of communicating to those around you. I would like for someone to pray for me right now about anything, okay? I'll be over here in the corner if you want to talk to somebody. And, of course, after the service, I always come back to the front as people are talking and chatting. I'm available. But this image should never leave your mind or whatever image you have that represents Jesus is worthy of all this and more. So maybe we should sing our lives like this. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are worthy. We repent of not believing that most of our lives. Even us in the ministry struggle with this. Sometimes we love our ministries more than we love the one who gave it to us. I'm definitely guilty of that. And so, Lord, as we come and repent, Lord, Repent is not just being sorry. It's, Lord, help us to realize that we don't want to repeat this. We want to change the trajectory of our lives from the broad way to the narrow way. The narrow way, few find. Because few are willing to give up anything for Jesus, for you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us clarify where we stand with you. And even if we clarify it and we aren't willing to give it all up for you yet, at least, Lord, help us to realize that that's a step towards clarity, and that's helpful. It's just dangerous. Give us the courage to make a clear decision, a clear distinction in your presence before you, and to be honest enough to wrestle with that, even after this. In Jesus' name we pray.